Hello and welcome to Weirdos in the Wild with our co-host, A.J. Oxley, paranormal investigator with Beyond This Life Paranormal and multi-generational paranormal enthusiast, and Lynn Tencher, Beyond This Life Paranormal investigator, Reiki master, published author, and near-death experiencer. Travel with them, a couple of everyday weirdos on a wild ride to all things paranormal and metaphysical. Coming up on Weirdos in the Wild, Bob Ginsberg is featured on the Netflix series Surviving Death, founder of Forever Family Foundation, editor of Signs of Life magazine, and host of Signs of Life Radio, sits down with AJ and Lynn to talk about near-death experiences, mediumship, and the survival of consciousness. Stay tuned. Hydra Publications is your one stop for the best in genre fiction. Secrets and Blood is the debut horror novel from Dewey Hensley. Evangeline Grace, the sheriff in a small town, eastern Kentucky coal mining county, longs to start a new life in another place. However, present and past evils conspire to jeopardize her plans and end the lives of those she loves, including her brother Sheldon, whom she promised to protect. Drugs, feuds, and her beliefs stand in the way of identifying the notorious Highlander in time to live her dream. However, menace reaches from Madison County's past. Do you struggle with depression, ongoing medical issues, or have you experienced past trauma? If you have, please consider the help of Energetic Healing. At Dragonfly Pond Holistic Services, we utilize Karuna Reiki, crystals to align and heal chakra function, meditation, and sound healing to address these issues and help you in your healing process. To learn more about Energetic Healing and how to contact us, Visit our website at dragonflypondenergy.com. For those who call in to schedule an appointment, mention this ad and receive $25 off your initial visit. All right, everyone. Welcome back. My name is AJ. And I'm Lynn. And you're back with us on Weirdos in the Wild. Tonight, we have a special guest. Lynn, you want to introduce him for us, please? Sure. Tonight we have Bob Ginsberg. He is featured in the Netflix Surviving Death series. He's the host of Signs of Life Radio, Thinking Aloud, Kane and Company, Dr. Amy Robbins, Love Never Dies, Kindness Beyond the Veil, Everything Imaginable, Cultivating Spiritual Curiosity, In Search of Reality, disrupting grief. He's been all over the place. He's been on pain society, law of the universe and everything. He is an expert in the near-death experiences, as well as the founder of the Forever Family Foundation and author of the Medium Explosion, My Life Here and There. He is with us tonight and he's going to share some of his experiences and some of his story is along with us. So pleasure to be with you both. Yes, thank you for being here tonight. We really do appreciate it. Give us an idea of who you are and how you got into what you what you do now, Bob. Well, you know, my life now is vastly different than my life 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago, I was a left brain logical thinker and the possibility of Life after death um, to me seems silly. You know, I said I identified who we are as our brains, and our brains produce consciousness. So when the brains would know more, we would know more. So when people would talk about an afterlife, I would just think of it as a fairy tale. You know, um, it's a nice thought, um, but 
I didn't really give much uh, credence to it. And then um, my life uh, changed. Uh, my, my daughter uh, was killed in a car accident. Uh, and the morning of the car accident that my son and my daughter were in, uh, my wife had, um, she awakened at, at three o'clock in the morning and she was trembling and shaking. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, she, she just didn't say anything. She just stared at me. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, well, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, can you tell me more? And she said, I, I can't tell you, but our lives are going to be changed forever today. And I um, took that, even though I technically didn't believe in precognition and premonitions and visions and things like that. Uh, we had been married, you know, for decades. And over the years, my wife would occasionally get such precognitive uh, visions and every single one of them, not that they were that many, but there were like four or five of them and they all turned out to be true. They all played out exactly the way that she said. So logic told me that if she was right then, she could be right now. And to make a very long story short, I watched over my three children. Uh, one just started uh, her college career. The other one was going back to college the next morning. And my youngest one was working in a part-time job the last day before school started. And I, I let my guard down at night. Um, they all seemed fine. I just let the vision fade from my awareness. And then we were all in a restaurant and, you know, that's where the accident happened when they were on their way home. So, so sorry about, about a, uh, thanks. So about um, my son also, my daughter didn't survive her injuries and my son had very serious uh, injuries of his own and he was in a coma. We didn't know whether, you know, we were going to lose him as well. And about a month later, when it was clear that he was going to recover and make a, a major, you know, recovery and be fine, I suddenly remembered that morning. I said, wait a second. I said, well, how did friend my wife know? I mean, it's she obviously knew. She was trembling. She told me something was going to happen. That started me on a quest. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say it was more, it was an obsession. I had to know how she, my wife knew. And then I also had to know if there was any possibility that my daughter still survived in some form. And I, I wanted to know if there were credentialed people, MDs and PhDs that studied consciousness that had any hard evidence. So that became my life. I started going all over the country, meeting with scientists and doctors and researchers and, and discussing things that I never before discussed or entertained. And, and the more I learned, the more intrigued I got and got to the point where I, I couldn't believe that all of this data um, and research was not generally known, you know, to the public. Um, you know, one thing led to another, as you mentioned, we, we formed the Forever Family Foundation, which is um, kind of a, a convergence of science and spirituality. Um, and uh, we work with medical doctors and scientists that study consciousness. Um, we have a program that we've instituted in 2005 where we evaluate evidence that mediums um, provide um, as a resource for the bereaved. <clears throat> and in one of my books, In the Medium Explosion, I, I mentioned that, in my opinion, based upon my own you know, research, that 
85 to 90 percent of all the practicing mediums in the world today can't do it claim which didn't make me very popular in the mediumship community but um i uh, i still maintain that and we still find that you know when we evaluate a medium we find that 10 percent of the mediums you know gain certification you know we've been as i mentioned we've been certified in mediums since 2005 and we have 26 mediums that have been certified over those what is it 18 years now so it's not a lot right uh, so um you know then you know so we started studying end of life experiences deathbed visions near death experiences reincarnation you know electronic voice phenomena um after death communications and um I'm still learning you know every, every day i mean you know, we're we're an organization we have about between 13 and 14,000 members around the world and they all tell us about their experiences and their stories and i'm i'm amazed every time i hear it you know? so so that's a long-winded answer to your question of what I was before, which is very different from what I am now. I'll just share with you, I had my own near-death experience when I was about 12, um, mm. where um, I have a rare heart condition and had passed away in my sleep and left my body and floated up above the house and and looked down at, at my body in the bed and and said, you know, I'm I, not done with her yet was my words. She's got to get married. She's got to have kids. She's got to do all these things. And I went right back into my body. And when I woke up, I was like tingling all over, like my foot had fallen asleep, you know, that feeling. So, you know, at the age of 12, that kind of started me on the path of trying to find information on this, but, you know, being that young and that long ago, (laughs) kind of joking here, um, there wasn't that much information out there for me until, you know, the last most recent years, I kind of got away from it for a while and, and started digging back into it, which is how I, how I found out about you. So I'm really excited to get to talk to you here. I'm yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. I, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. Around the time that you had it, there wasn't mm-hmm. your death experience uh, was not well known, you know, and, and it's come a long way, you know, today. Um, yeah. Considering, you know, where it was. So let, let me ask you when, when you, Return to your body. We were, were you upset? I mean, you were given a choice. Did you want to stay where you were? Um, I didn't have that sense. I know a lot of people with near death experiences have that sense that they don't want to come back because yeah. even though I felt I felt like it was you know I felt the peace. I didn't have the tunnel or the you know going towards the light thing. But I you know I was up. I went through the ceiling. Was looking down at the roof of the house and yeah. and all that, and had the sense of peace. And I remember my thought was, oh, now that makes sense, because I had like an immediate knowing of understanding of everything that was going on. But I felt like I still had a purpose that I was given that choice to come back and fulfill whatever whatever yeah. purpose. And I think you know now at this point in my life, I'm fulfilling that by learning this and doing this show and trying to help get information out there and and that's great. This is not about me. This is about you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's what intrigued me so much um, uh, about near death experiences. I mean, we we talked to a lot of uh, researchers. Uh, Bruce Grayson is on our board, and he's uh, very well known in, in in the field. And to me, um, what intrigued me so much is that near death experiencers, you know, describe clear and lucid thinking, which is what you described, mm-hmm. which makes no sense if you have a, a, a compromised, you know, brain. I mean, 
uh, NDEers meet every definition that medical science has for death. I mean, no respiration, no heartbeat, no reflexes, um, no uh, brain waves. So um, as far as medical science says, you know, they're dead. And yet they describe this clear and lucid thinking and having this uh, view leaving their bodies um, and, and being able to describe things that went on and that knowing and some of the things that you were talking about, Lynn, to me, that's uh, tremendous evidence that we're more than our physical bodies right. and that the brain is not the same thing as the mind, you know, or um, you, you could use the term mind or consciousness or soul, but it's clear that something goes beyond the body. And if that's true, it makes absolute sense that um, it becomes logical that we continue after our body is no more. Right. And it amazed me at just, you know, the level of detail. I can remember the the lines on the roof in the on the metal roof that we had. I remember seeing gum the gum tree seeds that had fallen out of the tree. You know, that we called them devil balls because they have the spikes all over them. Just all the the amount of detail that I got in probably a matter of seconds. Uh, you know, I don't think I was had passed that long because I didn't have time to do much of anything. Um but how much I gleaned from that, that moment. And it completely changed me. I know I was only 12, but it has like, I think changed the whole trajectory of my life going forward. I'm sorry. And, and the scientists, I mean, that, that's exactly what they tell us is that the most profound things about the near death experience are the after effects. Mm -hmm. how, how many experiencers completely change their lives. You know, things that were important to them are not so important, you know, when they come back. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, you're a perfect example of that. You know, look, look at what you're doing now versus, um, you know, before you're in DE. Um, also, that, that level of detail of noticing that, you know, the the, the the gum or the sticky stuff on on the roof. I mean, that's evidential. If you were to send, how you explain that? The only way to explain it, other than that you took a ladder and you went up there before your near death experience and you looked. I mean, is is there's no logical explanation for that other than your consciousness was soaring. Yeah. So um, I know you've done, like you said, you've done a lot of research. But what are the types of things that that you're that you're researching, being able to? Because that's one of my quests is being able to put the science to this stuff. So you know, you know, one of the things that. Um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a researcher and I'm not a scientist, but um, I get to play one on TV because we have this <laughs> army of people. So I used to set up a lot of experiments. For instance, um, I don't know if you're familiar familiar with remote viewing. I'm sure that you are, but um, our own government, the CIA, had a team of remote viewers during the Cold War uh, that they were using to spy on the Russians and simply for. Those in your audience that don't know, remote viewers can send, um, for lack of a better term, their consciousness out to it to a to a, another site. The uh, the government used to give the remote viewers latitude and longitude coordinates and ask them to visit that site with their minds and report back and make drawings of what they saw. Um, so, I, to me, that was was incredible and and and. and the literature goes back a hundred years with remote viewing. So I set up my own experiment and I asked people um, 
I gave them uh, a, a set interval. I said between 9 p.m. and 9.15 p.m. Eastern time on five consecutive nights, I was going to draw a picture. That's the only instructions that I gave. Um, and I asked people, even if they thought they had no abilities, to sort of tune in with their mind. And at that exact moment, just draw what comes to their mind that at the end of the five uh, consecutive days to physically mail me all their drawings. Um, and I even purposely would not think of what I was going to draw until like three seconds before nine o'clock because I wanted to try to elim eliminate the possibility they were reading my mind. And um, I'm not a... I'm a horrible drawer artist, I, you know, but I um, I did the best that I could with as much detail as I could. I also knew from my own research that in remote viewing, time and space doesn't matter because sometimes these remote viewers would go to a site and see something that used to be there, but is no longer there, or they see uh, something that um, was not there presently, but it turns out was built in the future. Um, so I, I drew these five drawings and, and and all the responses started to come in and I was I was disappointed. I started reading through them and there was nothing that was really significant, you know, and and I could make a few things fit, but you know, nothing that would be scientifically valid. And then the very last envelope that I opened up was from I never forget was from a woman in Bend, Oregon. And she drew three of my drawings like exactly to the point where on the last day I, I decided that just to to mess things up a little bit I wasn't going to draw something I was going to uh, I drew a, a series uh, of geometric shapes it was a dot with concentric circles you know like in a spiral yeah. went around and she drew that exactly what was interesting though is that I drew that those concentric circles on a Friday, but she drew them on a Wednesday, which raises the possibility of who is remote viewing who. You know? right. <laughs> you know, so then, but then I said to myself, okay, here's it's statistically so improbable. Somebody out of a million possibilities to draw three um, um, drawings that were exact to mine. And I said, okay, so here I am. I was in New York at the time. So here's Bob with 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 Bob's brain sitting in New York. And then here's this woman with her brain sitting in her skull 3,000 miles away. And yet, you know, she was able to pick up, you know, what I was drawing. There's no logical explanation for that if our, if our consciousness is contained to our inside of our, our head or our bodies, that's not possible. But it, yet it happened and I I didn't read about it in a book. Um, I didn't hear about it in a story. I mean, I control, you know, the experiment. So that had a tremendous impact on me. Was it proof of life after death? No, of course not. But to me, um, that paved the way for more exploration because once I knew that you know, that our consciousness can go beyond the brain, then I've started to believe more and more in, in life after physical death. Makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you said she had never done this before as? Uh, um, yeah, it's, a good, it's a good question. I did question her, AJ, because I was curious. And as it turned out, 
um, she had never done remote viewing before, but she had um, many other psychic abilities. She okay. was plagued. I say plagued because it bothered her. Um, she would have these visions and she would see discarnates since she was a child. But as many people um, turns out to be the case, they're afraid to mention it to their parents or their friends for fear of being labeled or ridiculed or put on medication. So <laughs> she's been living with these abilities all of her life. And it was very, she never even tried anything like this before. And she didn't really want to discuss anything. She was still very much bothered. I wish I had a chance to meet with her. I never did. But uh, yeah, she was highly intuitive. Yeah. I know what you mean. I saw my first full body aberration when I was about six or seven years old. I never told anyone. I was that person that was afraid to to admit that I seen something that wasn't supposed to be there. So yeah, and that, that's a problem that we've faced over the years as a foundation that people are reluctant to, to share. Um, we try to that's what we try to get people to do. If we want to change worldview about this stuff, we have to get people simply to. I try to convince others, but share these experiences that they had. So it you know, becomes more in the mainstream. I'll take you, I'll tell you a quick story. Had a, a family friend of, uh, of ours that was a, a, me a medical doctor. And we used to, I used to go to him occasionally when I needed to. And um, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years after my daughter passed. And then I had some ailment. I don't remember what it was, but I decided I better go see um, this, my friend, the doctor. And I go in his examining room and he says, hey, Bob, how are you? I said, okay. He says, what have you been doing? I said, well, if you really want to know, I've been studying survival of consciousness. And he just looked at me and we <laughs> continued on. And then five minutes later, he says, can I ask you something? I said, well, he says, what's survival of consciousness? And <laughs> I explain it to him. And then meanwhile, his nurse walked in the room and it turned out that his nurse um, had recently lost a child to crib death, an infant. And, and she was very interested in the conversation, especially about life after death and closed the door. And now the three of us are talking. There's like a riot in his waiting room. There's like 40, 45 minutes we're in there and there's 20 people in his waiting room. And uh, she walked out and then he, my friend got this very serious look on his face and he closed the door and he started whispering and he said, can I tell you something, Bob? And I said, yeah. He said, my father died seven years ago. And I said, I'm sorry. And he said, well, so my father died at nine o'clock in the morning and I had a lot of critical patients in the hospital. So I had to call my answering service. And I called my answering service and they said, oh, doctor, uh, your father called. And he said, my father died at nine o'clock this morning. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry, doctor. We must have gotten the message wrong. He must have said he was your father-in-law. And he said, my father-in-law has been dead for 12 years. He said, um, what time did the message come in? They said, 9.15. He said, read me back the message. And they said, um, Frank, it's me. I'm okay. So wow. here's, here's a, a medical doctor. This has been bothering him like for seven years. He never told his soul. He never told his family. He never told his wife. And certainly wasn't going to tell a colleague. But after he heard what I was talking about, he felt safe and because he knew I wasn't going to judge him after I heard the crap that was coming out of my mouth. You know? <laughs> so, um, so, but I use that as an example of what a shame. This is like an extraordinary case of after death communication. 
And I guarantee you it's 20 years later yet now, and he's never told another soul about it. You know, I'm the only one that he's told. So it's a shame that people feel that way. Yeah. I think it's becoming more open now. Um, Obviously I think, you know, with the, the technology we have, people are talking about this more and it's becoming a little more accepted, or at least I'm running into more people that feel the same way I do. (laughs) But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and, and things like the, the, the Netflix series and the media and the movies, and, you know, they're starting to discuss this in, in, a, in a more open fashion. Many articles are being written, you know, tons and tons of books. It has changed, mm-hmm. you know, just in the, in the, in the 20 some ideas that, that we've been doing it, 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 it it's changed drastically. Um, so uh, there's an openness about it and that's good. I don't know if, if it'll continue or where it will lead us, but it's certainly a good sign as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. More with Bob Ginsburg coming up after some messages from our sponsors. Hydra Publications is your one stop for the best in genre fiction. Secrets and Blood is the debut horror novel from Dewey Hensley. Evangeline Grace, the sheriff in a small town, Eastern Kentucky coal mining county, longs to start a new life in another place. However, present and past evils conspire to jeopardize her plans and end the lives of those she loves, including her brother Sheldon, whom she promised to protect. Drugs, feuds, and her beliefs stand in the way of identifying the notorious Highlander in time to live her dream. However, menace reaches from Madison County's past. Do you struggle with depression? ongoing medical issues, or have you experienced past trauma? If you have, please consider the help of Energetic Healing. At Dragonfly Pond Holistic Services, we utilize Karuna Reiki, crystals to align and heal chakra function, meditation, and sound healing to address these issues and help you in your healing process. To learn more about Energetic Healing and how to contact us, visit our website at dragonflypondenergy.com. For those who call in to schedule an appointment, mention this ad and receive $25 off your initial visit. Welcome back to Weirdos in the Wild. Before we return to our program, AJ and I would like to take a moment to remember my brother John Tencher, co-founder of Beyond This Life Paranormal, and Alan Oxley, AJ's father. Both passed away just before we recorded our first episode. Each and every episode going forward from this one on will be in remembrance of them. Thank you. So it kind of leads me to, because um, I know you've worked with a lot of mediums and you said you've you've certified 26 mediums now. Um, how do you really feel about even the ones that you have um, certified about their abilities to actually communicate with the those that have passed over for the consciousness that is surviving? Well, we, you know, we, we have a, um, a very uh, stringent uh, process. Um, they, and we have, uh, they do a, a mediums. Uh, first, they send them a preliminary inquiry. We send them a series of questions. And we send them a, an eight-page application that goes before a committee. We discuss whether we want to continue with it. An interview may be arranged. And then they get to the point of the actual evaluation, 
um, I won't get into the specifics of it, but we have five different scoring methods and it's all based on evidence and percentages of accuracy. And the more specific a piece of information is, the more weight it's given. So if you're the medium, Lynn, and you're giving me a reading now, and you could see approximately how old I am when you say, Bob, uh, I have uh, your grandmother in spirit. Is your grandmother in spirit? Well, I'd have to mark that as a hit, but she'd be 120 now. One of the, you know, so it's a pretty good bet, you know. Oh, but yeah. if you, but if, but if you said to me, Bob, I have your grandmother Rebecca here, and then you give me three or four pieces of specific information, you'd agree that that should be weighted more heavily because it's it's information that she she or he could not have looked up, you know, or reasonably, you know, guessed. So we um, we train a pool of sitters. When I say we train them, we tell them all about mediumship and how mediums work. And we go through exercises where they score information and we discuss how they would score it and, you know, and so forth. And over the years, listen, it's not a foolproof system, but over the years, the mediums that we certified Many of them have gone on to become famous, which doesn't really mean anything. But more importantly, a lot of them have gone on to work with scientists and universities um, in controlled studies, and, and they've excelled in that. So um, we're confident that the you know a medium cannot pass our certification program without having very strong abilities. I think the problem today is that we all have some degree of intuitive ability you do i do aj does you know but it's in varying degrees you know right I mean, so um and uh you know there are a lot of people today especially they say oh, i want to be like so and so on tv or i want to write a book about this and you know there are no regulatory requirements to be a medium you know you could go out tomorrow and hang out a shingle that you're in the medium i mean there there are no you know, certification processes, there's no uh, regulation, there's no licensing, there's no continuing ed, there's no education. So we, um, it's a problem because people say, I want to be like, you know, famous and they start, they're sitting with fragile, bereaved people. Some people, they're just on the edge, you know, just trying to survive. And if you go and sit with a medium and the medium is trying cold reading techniques or you just get a very poor reading, you may walk away from that saying, you know, this is all bullshit. You know, this is that there is no life after death. And and they walk away in worse shape and the grief than they were when they got there. Right. So you know, a strong medium reading, on the other hand, has the power to transform. Uh, we've seen that happen, you know, at our retreats over the past 15 years and uh, it could really make a difference uh, in in one's grief that's not to say that it's a magic pill you know and you're gonna we're gonna take away your grief um grief will always be there but those who believe that there is an afterlife that we continue after physical death do better in their grief than those who don't and that makes sense you know and there are clinical studies that have been published in peer-reviewed journals that bear that out. Because mm -hmm. uh, what could give you any hum hope or comfort than believing that your loved one still exists in some form and that you'll see them again someday. So it, it has tremendous uh, healing applications, but people have to be, have to take mediumship as a profession very, very seriously. 
uh, mm-hmm. because they're really they're not trained as grief professionals, but in reality, they're 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 on the front line acting as as one. Right. You know, so they need to 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 be very responsible and uh, be very proficient in what they do. That was one of the things that I really really liked about your foundation is and watching some of the things that you all have done is that it's really geared towards helping the grieving individual. And it's not, you know, putting on a show or, you know, trying to make money off of this, that your foundation truly is there to help. Um, And some of the psyches that you work with are the, are the same way, you know, they, they're there to help people. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've, we've, you know, grown pretty large over the years and we're all volunteers. So nobody connected with the foundation has ever received payment. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, except for the vendors and so forth, but, you know, the scientists don't get paid, the mediums don't get paid, the volunteers will, you know, work for the greater good. So, um, you know, and and we we manage, you know, well, because uh, I think the we're doing it for the right reasons. But yeah, ultimately, um we want to not only deal with the bereaved, but there are many people, especially now, the baby boomers are coming of age and, and every people are starting to question their own mortality. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the you start to say to yourself, well, you know, before our whole lives were ahead of us and you don't think about death, but, you know, now you're in the last phase and, and um, a lot of people have certain fears, you know, about it. So I think it's, we can all live fuller physical lives if we can eliminate or help alleviate the fear of death, you know? Right. Um, what better way to do that than showing evidence that death is not final, you know, that we don't just extinguish. Right. That's, that's one of the things that, you know, in talking to people that I've tried to do, it's, like, you know, just share my experience and say, for me, it was like step, you know, one second I'm here and I just step out. You know, it's just, it, it's that easy. It's painless and you feel wonderful. So it's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not afraid of death even to this day. Um, so that's one of the things. And then just, you know, the, how great it felt afterwards. You know, I, there was, so, I understood what love was and I still can't put it into words. And it's just, I don't know. I, I can't believe I made the choice to come back, but there was something I was supposed to do <laughs> that I just wasn't done yet. I had to go to it, but. Yeah. Uh, and, that's, and that's what most of your fellow experiences say that it's ineffable, that you can't put the experience into language. It's very, right. very, very, very difficult. Um, but. Um, yeah. The whole understanding of everything. I I can't put it into words. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, some experiences also return with enhanced um, abilities. I don't know if that, not everybody, I don't know if that was the same in your case, but they become more intuitive after their experience. Yeah, that happened to me as well. Um, I am not anywhere close to talented as as a lot of people that I, I, I know personally, but I have had my share of experiences where the intuitive side has really come through. Um, and as well as... Um, you know, spoken with my grandfather and my brother now, um, you know, just other people, especially my grandfather was really close to him on the other side, but to, to sit down and say, I'm going to do a reading for you. I've managed to do that a couple of times, but most of the time I'm completely blank. So to, 
to say that I'm a medium is no, <laughs> I'm not, but, but I do get the intuitive spikes every now and then. So I think, I think having that experience gave me that ability. Um, yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, and, and there's no reason that we have to become, that's what I tell people, you don't have to become a medium. Mm-hmm. You can just be a personal communicator, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you don't have to make something big out of it. It's just part of your life. You know? I have a question for you about, yeah. um, I read on your website here about deathbed visions yeah. and how, do, how does that connect with end of life experiences in, in your opinion? Um, and the reason I ask is because last yeah, last year my father passed away and he was very ill before that. And um, my mother swears he had a deathbed vision experience. He got better and then passed away just a couple months after that. But um just want to kind of get your take on that, Bob. Well, you know, it, it's um, if you talk to uh, people that work in hospice and hospice administrators, um, this is common knowledge. I mean, matter of fact, that's how they know when a patient is getting ready to cross over uh, because they have a, um, a deathbed vision, which is, you know, under the category of, of an end of life experience. So what happens is that usually in the window of of about two weeks before they physically pass up until, you know, hours before they pass, um, the dying person sees a loved one that is already deceased, you know, um, for them. And very often what they do is they, they hold out their hands, you know, outstretched and start talking to them. Usually the other people that are in the room can't see it. Um, and usually a smile will come to their face and they're very happy. Very often it's somebody's mom. It doesn't always have to be. Um, and it happens more than we can imagine, you know, and and what, what I've come to believe over the years is that every one of us has an escort to the other side. We may not be able, we may, you know, because of our physical condition or mental condition, we may not be able to express it or communicate it, but nonetheless, you know, we have assistance, you know, we cross over. Um, I've experienced it many times within my own family. Um, you know, when my before my wife passed over, um, she was having a conversation with her deceased aunt who helped, was like a second mother who helped um, um, raise her. And I have a, uh, had another story that you might find somewhat humorous uh, and that is uh, when my my mother was in the throes of in a dying process she was sitting in one of these recliner chairs in her home, home hospice and we had a, a family had a, a series of chairs in front of the recliner like in a semicircle and we were all sitting there and the chair directly in front of my mom was empty and all of a sudden, my mother, as sick as she was, you know, got animated and started reaching out and talking to her deceased mom, like in, in that chair. Um, yeah. And she was having a conversation. And in the middle of this, my father, who had been in the other room, walked into the room where we were and he saw the empty chair and he sat down in the chair. And my mother, whipped out because my father-in-law, he had no way of knowing that he sat on his mother-in-law. <laughs> get up, get up, get up. My poor dad was bewildered, you know, and I had tried to explain it to him, you know, and he got up. But um, yeah, I've experienced this, you know, many times um, 
with family members and and, and friends and um, and the implication to me is is important because uh, people can take comfort in the fact that they're not going to be alone, you know, when they pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My my dad always called his mom mother, and when he was having this experience, he kept saying mother, mother, and. At one point in time, he looked up and said, Mother, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that makes sense to me. Yeah, just wasn't so, quite, quite ready. Um, wasn't ready to go yet. So, um, but he did, unfortunately, he passed away a couple months later. But um, yeah, it, I, it was something I wanted to ask you about because, you know, I see that there's been a lot of research about that when I was reading about it and reading on your website about it. Yeah, and and um, we talk to you know medical professionals all the time about this. There's another phenomenon that takes place uh, in end of life experiences. They there's, they call it um, terminal lucidity, or some people call it sudden awakening. And you have people that are um, physically and or mentally incapacitated and near death, all of a sudden have a day where they're perfectly lucid and clear. I experienced that with my my mother-in-law. She um, was uncommunicative for for two weeks. You could not have any conversation communicated with her in any manner. And I was taking turns with my wife um, to the facility where she was to visit her every day. And it was my day, and I walk in, and my mother-in-law just pops up and says, "Oh, hi, Bob. Listen, my tax, my taxes are due in a couple of days, so I need you to go to H and R Block and do bring my tax. And what are we going to do for the holidays? And and all of these specific details. And I remember walking outside and calling my wife and saying, "I don't know what's going on, but this is a miracle. You know, you got to get your ass down here. You know. So, and 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 it was like that uh, for the whole day that I was there. Um, the next day she reverted back to her semi comatose state and, 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 and passed away a few days later. So there's no medical explanation for it. At least none that I found that's logical in any way. So if there's no medical explanation for it, maybe there's a spiritual explanation for it. Like we're given one last hurrah, you know, maybe to, so we could, express our love you know whatever or we could remember them that way i don't know the answer but it happens um you know quite often and it's it's always quite amazing to me every time i i see one of these cases when you were talking about deathbed vision how is that different from like a dream visitation or is it different well the, the, the deathbed vision you know happens in that window just before death dream visitations are probably the most common form of after-death communication. You know, people um, in, the, in, in, in the REM stage of sleep, I mean, have these uh, visitation dreams. Uh, they're different from what I would call regular dreams. You know, regular dreams are usually disjointed. Um, they usually don't make a lot of sense. They're all mixed together. Sometimes you're rehashing some of the day's events or things that happened to you. But in a visitation dream, your deceased loved one 
is before you and it's very tactile. Sometimes you could talk to them, you could hug them, you could kiss them, you could have a conversation, you could smell them mm-hmm. and you believe they're right in front of you. And people describe it as being more real than real. And unlike regular dreams that you forget as soon as you wake up, a visitation dream stays with you, you know, and, and you remember it, you know, and sometimes you remember it forever, you know, and it could help change the way that you you, um, you, you feel about grief and, and death. So uh, I think that our loved ones, you know, they, they find it's very hard sometimes to get through to us when we have that chatter mind, people call it monkey mind, and you're thinking about things. But when you, your mind is at rest, they see an opportunity, like a clear channel, and that's when they can, you know, come through. Um, the, you know, the, the process of how they do it, I couldn't tell you, you know, whether it has to do with, a, um, you know, a frequency or vibration or, or, you know, or whatever, but it happens and it happens with tremendous frequency. And every time we talk about it, people flood us with these visitation dreams that they have. That's amazing because I've had a couple of those. I think, I think everyone has, honestly. Um you know, especially when you've lost somebody very close to you. I think pretty much everyone gets visited in their sleep. Uh, you know, same thing. Yeah. I don't know science is behind that, but. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, ha- it happened with me. Um, I was, um, I wasn't having, after my daughter passed, I wasn't having any, um, what I would call after death communications. And my wife did, which was great because I was able to, live vicariously through the experiences that she was having. And then I started having these dream visitations and my wife urged me to journal each one of them. And like over a a two year period, I had 74 dream visitations that I journaled, you know, and which was incredible. You know, I mean, even especially for somebody like me that I had very little and no intuitive ability. So, um, that was also a lifeline to me. At least, you know, the the value of journaling them is that you have something to refer back to later on when you start to question yourself. So wait a second. I mean, you go to your notes and you see. You sometimes you can forget over the years. Um, that's why I also encourage people to have transcripts or recordings of the medium readings that they have, um, so they can refer, refer back to it at a later date. That's a good idea. So you said, you know, you've over the years, you've only had 18 that you have certified as um, how many people come through to get certified? And I guess my question is more around, do people want to be certified or do they just, you know, you kind of like you said, they're just kind of out there and they maybe they don't want to get certified because they don't want to be known that they're not a true medium. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's a lot involved there. So what happens is that for every application that we send out to a prospective medium, let's say for every ten that we send out, maybe we, one gets returned because people think that it's going to be one of these uh, mail order reverend deals, you know, where they're yeah. going to send us some money and we're going to send them a certificate when they yeah. see eight, eight pages of of of, of of uh, very specific questions sort of scares them off. So they, they, they just back off. And then, you know, the ones that do um, 
you know, what I found over the years, as I mentioned before, is that um, 90% of the mediums that, that have gone through the process have not gained certification. So effectively, we have to evaluate 10 mediums to find one. Yeah. You know, so, so if we, I mean, we, we've certified 26 over the last 18 years. So that means that we've, you know, we've, we've, um, had you know hundreds and hundreds of mediums in the go through go through the process, uh, but you raise another inter interesting point is that there are there are some mediums that they don't see any upside in going to get certification because a lot of them have big followings, so they wouldn't want it to even though we keep everything confidential, they wouldn't they wouldn't want it to get at ruin their careers by it getting out that somehow that they you know that they failed to gain our certification. Right, so they, they don't need us, and a lot of them. Um, but but a lot of them, they come to us for the wrong reasons. They come to us because they want to. They question themselves. So they they they, they want to know if we can tell them wh whether they're really doing what they think they're doing. And then we we want more advanced, you know, media. If you're questioning yourself, you're probably not going to, you know, pass the certification. So um, the problem that we have, and and I've. First of all, you know, as I said, we're all volunteers. It takes a lot of effort from people to 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 evaluate each medium. So I haven't. We do so many different things that I haven't had the time to devote to it. But I've recently geared it up because what's happened, as I mentioned, is that many of the mediums we certified have become very famous and. When they, you know, they have become best-selling authors, they have TV shows and make movies and so forth. So, and you know what happens when somebody becomes famous? They, they really, um, if they continue to do readings, they have a three, four-year waiting list. They charge ridiculous amounts of money, <laughs> um, and and so um, it becomes. Um, you know, the reason that we have the program is a resource for the bereaved. So if you lost somebody and you desperately want a reading and you go on our site and you click on a medium and then you go to their website and you find out that there's a, a three-year waiting list and they charge $800 for a reading, that doesn't do you, you any good. <laughs> you yeah. know? Right. So, so we need to find, and, and they're out there, identify, you know, new mediums that aren't famous, that don't have long waiting lists, that charge reasonable amounts of money. And, you know, over the past year, we found a few more and that's good. And I'm trying to identify, you know, more and more so people can, can have access to vetted mediums that they can rely upon. Right. It's, I know one of the girls that I did a reading for then came back and wanted me to do a reading at a birthday party. And oh, I don't want to do that. That's not I don't want to, I felt like a parlor trick, you know, it's like, I don't want to do that. No, I know. I, I know that that's, that's the way it is. But, and, and, you know, we, we've unfortunately put our mediums in the position of, of being entertainers, you know, they do these large venues, you know, and they're, they're under, you know, pressure. Personally, I hate that. I mean, I, I hate when uh, a medium, I'm not talking about doing a group of 10 or 20 people. I'm talking about where they do a venue where they have 500 people or more in the audience, so each paying a lot of money to see them. And, you know, statistically over a two hour period, you know, maybe they're going to do 
five or six readings for a thousand people that are in the audience, you know. So you have a, a lot of people that go home disappointed, you know, because they people in grief, they think that the bond that they had with their with their loved one was so strong that somehow they're going to get a reading. The connection is going to be made. And it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, I, I have a problem with some of these mediums that charge a lot of money for these tremendous venues. Mediumship is not entertainment, you know. Uh, I mean, if if a medium has a TV show and you want to go see a movie, a TV star, and you understand that, that's one thing. But if you're going there to expecting to get a, re a reading, um, that's not a good way to do it, you know. You should always get a, a private reading. Um, we have a much better chance of a, of a connection being made. Like I said, before we start, I want to make sure that I'm respectful of your time. And I know you have a another call coming up, but I can't not tell you how much we have appreciated being able to talk to you this evening. Um, I I've been looking forward to it ever since, you know, you confirmed with us. So uh, we really appreciate it. And if there's anything that we can do to help you anyway whatsoever, just let us know and we'll be glad to. Yeah, I, I thank you, um, AJ and Lynn, and uh, pleasure being with you. I've just uh, mentioned the foundation's website, which is foreverfamilyfoundation.org, and people can read about the stuff we've been talking about tonight. And uh, great foundation, know, go check it out, uh, folks. <laughs> and I, I write a I write a blog uh, at beyondthefivesenses.com, which is just a way to, for me to get it stuff out there so my head doesn't explode from what runs through it so, but uh thanks it's been my pleasure and best of luck to you guys all right thank you so much all right thank you thank, thank you. you Bob. all right you're welcome thank you thank you for joining us at weirdos in the wild please show us some love and support on our patreon account at weirdos in the wild like us on all of our social media. And if you've had an experience you'd like to share with us, visit our site at weirdosinthewild.com. Until next time, keep it weird, y'all. Hydra Publications is your one stop for the best in genre fiction. Secrets and Blood is the debut horror novel from Dewey Hensley. Evangeline Grace, the sheriff in a small town, Eastern Kentucky coal mining county, longs to start a new life in another place. However, present and past evils conspire to jeopardize her plans and end the lives of those she loves, including her brother Sheldon, whom she promised to protect. Drugs, feuds, and her beliefs stand in the way of identifying the notorious Highlander in time to live her dream. However, menace reaches from Madison County's past. Do you struggle with depression, ongoing medical issues, or have you experienced past trauma? If you have, please consider the help of Energetic Healing. At Dragonfly Pond Holistic Services, we utilize Karuna Reiki, crystals to align and heal chakra function, meditation, and sound healing to address these issues and help you in your healing process. To learn more about Energetic Healing and how to contact us, visit our website at dragonflypondenergy.com. For those who call in to schedule an appointment, mention this ad and receive $25 off your initial visit.